Hello, this is Doug Wyatt. I want to welcome you again to our podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist. And this is podcast number 24, which is part three, the final part of our consideration of living as a scientist and a Christian. Podcast 23 was part two of a three-part series on blending our lives as a scientist and a Christian. And we continue with this podcast 24, which is part three of our discussion. As a reminder, I am a Ph.D. scientist published with with patents and a long history of managing major science and engineering research programs. I am a Christian. With many of my friends in science, technology, and engineering, I have chatted with and discussed our thoughts on Christ and Christianity, the Creator God, the Bible and human history, and often how difficult it is to reconcile belief with our scientific training and thought processes. I truly understand and have struggled with this myself. Science and Christian beliefs are often hard to merge in our modern technological and skeptical world. Yet I know that many feel, sense, hear a quiet whisper, a deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider and to discuss through our podcast that this is our Creator God calling to you personally and how to accept this. I offer this series of podcasts as a scientist and a Christian, Consideration of Christianity as a Scientist. I am going to blend various statements from Jesus' teaching together, sort of combining a couple of Gospels, and letters from James and Paul, with the hope and prayer that it aids our understanding of being a scientist and living as a Christian. I'm going to comment briefly as I read. Here goes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. Jesus was a recognized teacher with routine followers and with ad hoc followers. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are opinions on this, but I agree with the scholars who believe that this means those who have little spirit and want more will be rewarded. Spirit means openness, a desire to hear, to learn. They were missing something. They were seeking something. Continuing, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This has multiple meanings, mourn for loved ones, but also mourn because of the state of the world, etc. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I have trouble with this one, but like all of Jesus' teachings, it has multiple beneficial meanings. If you are humble, you will continue. But also, if you are meek in your faith and belief, you will inherit the earth and not the kingdom of heaven. You must be strong in your faith and belief, but yet, if you do not constantly fight and bicker, you will survive. It's multiple teachings. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Straightforward, sort of reinforcing the previous statements. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. These three teachings just mentioned are overarching and behavioral. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, me being Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. These last few teachings are also how to live and how to act. They are points for living. People will condemn and complain about your beliefs. But what you believe is a light to the world, and you cannot hide it, nor should you hide it. These are what Je- the things Jesus was saying. Continuing. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is referring to the greater law we mentioned earlier in this podcast series and subsequent influences from this law. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. By the way, Raka means something like, you are empty-headed, a fool, worthless, and is an insult, something us scientists are sometimes tempted to do. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This refers to not only things of a fiscal or financial nature, but of a moral and relational nature as well. And all these last few previous statements are very easily and well understood. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. This is tough to conceive of in modern thought, but it emphasizes the need for the determination to practice self-control. The Romans and the Greeks of the period some of whom would be listening to these teachings, were not known for their Judeo-Christian moral practices. Continuing, 
It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This was Pharisaical Jewish law, as interpreted and not part of God's original commandments. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. These statements clarify God's intent. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you simply need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is putting human existence in its place relative to the role of God in creation. Continuing, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is saying retribution is not what God wants. How many times as a scientist and a human have I wanted retribution, not just physically but also academically, logically, professionally, and for reputation? You probably have too. Continuing. You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The following are teaching from James, and the brother of Jesus, made approximately 30 years after Jesus' teaching we just mentioned. I will quote and comment from the fourth chapter, but encourage you to read the entire epistle. It is a quick and very meaningful document. From James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? For me, yes, as a person and a scientist. Continuing, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This does not mean that you cannot enjoy creation, enjoy nature, enjoy people, socialize, love, go to the beach, enjoy a nice wine or coffee, and that you cannot study and learn about our universe. It means that you must hold God first. Goodness higher first. You cannot side with the created world above following and seeking God. That you cannot select politics or human philosophy over God's requirements. Your friend, the world, will not save you. Continuing. 
Or do you think scripture says without a reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. These last five statements from James that I'm sure he learned from Jesus all refer to the friendship with the world. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Remember, God's law, not necessarily the law of the Pharisees and maybe even the Sadducees who were there understood. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is a reiteration of what Jesus just said and very good advice for us as scientists and Christians. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Arrogance, hubris, based on what we know and think we know, is the warning Jesus is giving. As scientists, we understand much, but must admit that we, like Einstein has said, only understand one thousandth of one percent of how our universe operates. Jesus is saying that God, the God of creation, is in control. Continuing on for a bit more. These are follow-on teachings from Paul, an apostle and former prosecutor of Christians and disbeliever in Jesus, written some 30 years after Jesus taught the ideals we just discussed. Paul wrote from Rome to a group of mixed Jews and Gentiles now become Christians in the city of Colossae, now in the southern part of the Republic of Turkey. This was written about the same time as our teaching from James we just reviewed, although James was writing primarily to Jewish Christians in Roman-occupied Judea and Samaria and the Middle East. Using both these last two passages as examples, it is easy as scientific thinkers to see the consistency in the teaching of Jesus as it was carried forward across the known world. Reading from Paul. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This means died to sin, the world's attitudes, and is a metaphor for belief, baptism, and commitment. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The next few verses of this chapter are often looked down upon by many of my scientific thinking friends as patrimonial, male-dominant, slave-master guidance. It is anything but that, and we will save these for a future podcast. However, what we have included is similar to what Jesus taught as we discussed what James taught as we discussed, and what Paul taught as we discussed. I do not believe that I know any of my scientific thinking friends, Christians or not, that would argue with the value of these teachings for human relationships. What you must add to this are the first things we discussed in part one of this series, the acceptance of God and divine authority, and then those things we discussed about Jesus being who he said he was. I do believe, and hope you do too, that there are observable and logically acceptable paradigms that can lead our type of thought processes to Jesus. Once you get to the point where you think it is plausible to believe, then your heart and spirit can open and love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Once you are here, Accepting Jesus is next and is an easy decision. Finally, for our discussion, why Christianity, why not something else, some other moral code or just a personal moral code of living to be a good person? Why does a super creator God, the Pantocrator, require something like sending his son, a part of himself, Christianity, to earthbound, thin film creatures such as ourselves? Why not just simple forgiveness and a do-over? We will discuss this in a future podcast. Finally, as a scientist, a scientific thinker who has accepted Jesus and the body of knowledge, body of wisdom, philosophy that Christians follow and seek, as we do everything in science, engineering, technology, we need to be constantly prepared, educated in, have established an understanding of, a well-reasoned ideal of what we believe so that we can explain, discuss, and share our faith, our belief, not in an in-your-face way, but when asked and when opportunities present themselves. Your belief and understanding may be understood by you, by us, in a complex theological way, or it will be, may be, can be, simple, heartfelt love and faith. 
In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he uses the Greek word epignosis in regard to this discussion, which basically means towards greater knowledge and understanding. As scientists and Christians, that is what we seek. Often non-physical, difficult to observe and objectively measure and therefore rationalize, topics are tough to comprehend and analyze, very tough for us scientific thinkers. We are stepping way, way out into conceptual thought when we do consider them, but I believe that we can arrive at concepts that are meaningful beyond just our observational abilities. I believe we can sense, feel these facts, these thoughts, as something real and believe them just as we do those things we can physically observe and touch. In this podcast, we have tried to do that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Considering Christianity as a Scientist podcast series. This ends our three-part series on living as a scientist and a Christian. As scientific thinkers, we can evaluate our belief and, through understanding, develop a growing relationship with our Creator God. We can understand His history with mankind and the teaching of His Son, the Christ, to bring us closer to Him, better our relationships with ourselves, and save us from those who would destroy us. Our next episode is coming soon.